Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, Quite a few years ago, um, I came across this um, story, or parable, if you will. And I'd like to start this morning by reading it to you. Um, It's called The Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was a crude little life-saving station. In those days, travel by sea was extremely dangerous. Storms and rocky coasts and all kinds of lives would get lost in shipwrecks within the sight of land. So a group of volunteers went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what they called the Little Life-Saving Society. Their building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching to rescue every single life they could. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others around the surrounding area wanted to become associated with that station and give their time and money and effort to the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt the more comfortable place should be provided for those as a first refuge for those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds, put in better furniture, and enlarged the building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because it was used as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some had yellow skin, and the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could get cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. It's a story of an organization that lost its mission. Lost its sense of purpose. And that happens all the time. It happens in businesses. It happens in marriages. (laughs) And when that reason for existence is lost, there's all kinds of other things that come in and take their place. And that's why we're in this series talking about the mission and purpose of the church because we are that church. And what we've been looking at through the book of Acts is that the church is a movement. It is a movement with a mission. And the book of Acts is exactly that. It's a book of action. 
It's, it's people doing things, um, the Holy Spirit moving and God moving and doing things, and the people responding and doing things. And, and it's a book of action. It's not a book of intents, ideas, philosophy. It's a book of acts. And the reason we're going through this series is I want to make it absolutely clear what we are about together as a church. That we are not a destination, we are not a building, we are not programs, we are people in a movement. And it's not a movement of a few hired professionals. It's a movement of people. And my prayer throughout this series is that it would be for you a call to action. To say, I am a part of that movement. And I want to find my place in what God is doing in this world. So that I can be a part of that mission and purpose that he has for me and for us together as a church. And that's what this is all about. And so last week we were looking about what that looked like. And some of the key aspects of that early church their generosity, their, their willingness to share, their service, um, all of the things that they did together, meeting together, praising God. And it says at the end of that section in chapter 2 that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. The people looked at that group and said, I don't know what it is about them, and I may not understand what they're talking about, and they may not believe what it is they believe, but there is something about that group of people that I cannot deny. And that's about to change. Because you get into chapter 3, and there's an account of Peter and John who are on their way to temple prayers. And they pass a a man, uh, a crippled man, a lame man. He has been laying there for 40 years. He's been crippled from birth. And he's he's there begging at the entrance to the temple. And they come up to him, and he says, look at me. The man looks up expecting to get something from him. And he says, silver, gold, we don't have any of that. But what we do have, we give to you. So in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reached down, held him by the hand, helped him to his feet. And it says that man went into the temple dancing. He was walking. He was jumping. He was, and of course, that caused quite a stir in the temple because I don't know about you, but the church I was raised in, you don't run in church. You know, because that's God's house, the Lord's house. I don't know why, how he fit in that little building, but, you know, that was the big thing. Don't you run in church. Don't you dance? Don't you jump in church? Well, he was doing all of those things. And and it created quite a ruckus, quite a stir. And in fact, so much so that the people gathered around because they recognized it. This is a guy they passed by every day going in the temple. And this guy, he's jumping, he's leaping, he's dancing. What's going on here? And Peter and John step up and preach a sermon. Which, again, that's Peter. He's a preacher now, so he's allowed that. And, and what happens is they're actually arrested because of all the commotion that's being ha- uh, going on in the temple area. And they are brought before the Sanhedrin, who is kind of like the Supreme Court of the Jewish people that, in those days. And um, it's at the end of the day, and so they don't really know what to do with these guys, so they just throw them in jail overnight, and they reconvene court the next morning. So in chapter 4 is where we pick up the story, and they are called to give an account of what's going on here. And I'm going to read to you just a little bit of it. If you want to follow along, it's in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to begin uh, reading in verse 18. It says, So they called them in again and commanded them not to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, What is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So this is what we've heard. This is our message. We can't stop talking about it. If you, if you order us to stop, you got to understand, we got a mission from God. And you be the judge. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? 
And so it said these guys didn't know what else to do with them. So after further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. And then they go back to the other believers. And this is what's amazing. This is where I want to center in this morning. Because they come and they make this report. We got arrested. We got thrown in jail overnight. They brought us before the Supreme Court. We had to give an account of all they were doing. And they told us, if we don't stop doing this, if we don't stop preaching about Jesus, if we don't stop talking about the resurrection, that we are done for. And they bring this report back to the other believers. And listen what they did. The believers got together and they prayed. Now listen to their prayer. This is their prayer. Act 4, verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand what would happen. So now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I don't know how you would have prayed, given that set of circumstances. I don't know if you or some of your friends had been arrested and put in jail overnight for just preaching about the word of God, for just preaching the name of Jesus. If when you got back together and you heard the threats that were coming on them, Threats of beating, and these were, by the way, the very people who had been instrumental in Jesus' crucifixion. I don't know how you would have prayed. My guess is it would not have been this prayer. My guess is our prayers would have been more like, Lord, you hear their threats, so please protect us. (laughs) God, you hear what they said they're going to do to us, so, so please keep us from danger, keep us from harm, keep us safe, bless us, protect us, keep us safe. Their prayer is for boldness. And that's an incredible thing because the truth is you and I are not under any threat of of arrest. We are not under any threat of being beaten for our faith. But I do believe every one of us needs to pray a prayer of boldness. Because the message of Jesus Christ got beyond the first century because of the boldness of these people. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that boldness, because I'm sure for most of you, if you're like me, you hear that word boldness, and you go, oh, no, don't ask me to do something I don't want to do. That's why we need boldness. So I want to talk a little bit about how boldness grows, and there's some things in these guys and in their experiences that give us a bit of a picture of how that happens. How does boldness grow? So how can boldness grow in you and in me? I think there's a couple key things. First is, boldness grows when we are acutely aware of our own limitations, You know, what's the old Dirty Harry movie line? You know, a man's got to know his limitations. Now, that seems absolutely um, counterintuitive because you think boldness comes from mustering up my courage, kind of sitting and hunkering down, kind of like an NFL pregame, you know, player sitting down and, you know, getting all psyched up for the game. But but that's not the case. I I, I looked up a couple of uh, definitions um, of, of boldness or of courage. And one of them, I love this one, said, uh, courage is the art of being the only one who knows you are scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's a pretty good definition. It's not a matter of mustering up my own courage or psyching myself up. It's really a matter of recognizing this is beyond me. When these guys, when Peter and John were able to perform this miracle and this guy was healed and, and everybody gathers around, listen to their response. Their response is this. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? See, if you're sitting here this morning and, you th- and you're thinking about maybe talking to your friends about Jesus or, or maybe getting an opportunity to speak boldly the name of God, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I could never do anything like that. Congratulations. Because that's the first step towards boldness. <laughs> if you feel like that, well, that is beyond me. I can't do anything like that. Said, the first thing is to understand that you've got to be able to admit, I can't do this. He said, it's not by our own power, nor even our own godliness. These were regular guys like you and me. I know we have this idealized version of the apostles, but they were, they were ordinary people. And they realized it's not about their power. It's not even about how good and godly they are. It's about a power greater than themselves. And if you've ever felt overwhelmed by circumstances or overwhelmed by an opportunity or afraid to ever share your faith or ever speak up at all, congratulations. Because that's the first step. Throughout the Bible, God used people who were totally inadequate. When Abraham and Sarah are told at the ripe old age that they were, were going to have a child now, finally, you know what they did? They laughed. <laughs> that's a great joke, God. <laughs> when Moses was called to lead the nation of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt, you know what he did? He tried every excuse he could come up with. And then finally, when God kind of banished all of those excuses, he finally said, well, would you just send somebody else? Gideon, one of my favorite stories is Gideon. The nation of Israel are under under attack from the Midianites, and and so much so that he's down in a wine press threshing out the wheat. Because every time they did it out in front, the Midianites would come through, take all of their wheat, and go on and leave them destitute. So he's hiding, doing this thing, and an angel shows up to him and says, Hail, you mighty man of valor. He looks around. Looks up, who, me? (laughs) He says, I'm the youngest in my family, and my family is in the smallest tribe of Israel. I'm a nobody. Now you're a mighty man of valor. See, that's the story of Scripture. It's ordinary people scared to death about an assignment God has given to them, but a willingness to step out anyway. Sometimes, because I'm a pastor, you know, people ask me to pray for them, you know, or, or pray about a situation because after all, you're a pastor and you're closer to God and he listens to you like he doesn't listen to me. Well, that's because God loves me more, but no, it's not. <laughs> and I tell people, I have no special connection. I have no special connection. What I have is what you have. It's not my abilities. It's not my power. It's not my godliness by any stretch of the imagination. It is the power of God. And the first step towards boldness is being able to admit, God, this is bigger than me. I don't know if I can do this. Uh, this is something that is so totally beyond me. But see, here's the thing. They realized it was not their strength. Listen, when he called, he said, when they were called before the Sanhedrin, he says, it's by faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. See, the thing is this, you will never call on God's strength, you will never ask for God's strength if you think you've got it covered on your own. 
You will never seek out his help or his power if you think you can do this in your own strength. And that's why the first step towards boldness is simply to admit, I can't do this, God. This scares me. This is beyond me. But that's the first step to discovering boldness. I think there's a second element here. It's not only admitting my own weaknesses and my own limitations, but there was also something about these guys that boldness grows when we are convinced of the power of our message. See, what gave them the boldness was realizing this is beyond me, but this message that we've been entrusted with, this incredibly powerful, life-changing message, healing message, this is something that we are convinced of. People have to hear this. In fact, they stand in front of these guys, and this is the first thing they say. He says, this is a pretty bold declaration. Read it. Acts 3.15, he says, you killed the author of life. That's pretty bold. Because you got to understand, this is Peter, okay, who like just like a couple of months earlier, absolutely denied even knowing Jesus when he had been arrested. This is the same guy that was scared to death to even admit he knew Jesus. Now he's standing in front of the very same people, and he's saying to them, you killed the author of life. Not exactly subtle. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of that. See, what changed for them is their own personal experience. That that resurrection power had become their own. That this was a reality that they had not only seen, but they had personally experienced, not only heard of, but had been a part of their lives. Something had changed in Peter that made him from this, this you know, pool of jello to this courageous man who could stand in front of people and say these things. Something changed in him. And a big part of it was realizing this message is powerful stuff. This message is powerful stuff. And I'm a firsthand witness of it. Now, here's the thing. You have a firsthand experience. If you are a Christ follower, you have experienced the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life in some way, shape, or form. And you have a story. Peter's story is we saw the resurrected Christ. That was his experience. None of us have probably still had that, but you have a story. One of the things that we do when we have our baptisms is we have people write out your story. And there's something very powerful about just sitting down and very simply writing out, this is what God has done to change my life. And you can do it on one piece of paper. In fact, I encourage everybody to do this. Your story has a theme to it. That God has done something powerful in your life. And it has, doesn't have to be a big elaborate thing. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be a theologian. This, this is what God did for me. This is what my life was like before I knew him. This is how I came to understand the message of his grace. And this is how it's changed my life since. Simple. Three parts, one page. Three paragraphs at the most. Because you have a story. And you may not be able to expound and, and know all the ins and outs and all the answers to anybody's questions, but you have a story. And I want to encourage you, part of boldness is realizing this is what God has done for me. And it's a story that can be shared. These guys are thrown in jail overnight. And the very next day are called before the Sanhedrin. The very same people who had condemned Jesus to death. And this is the thing. He preaches another sermon. <laughs> And he ends it with this. Salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, this is the first and only time in human history that such a name has been given that kind of power. See, no one else has ever made that claim. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any other religious leader. It is only in Jesus that the claim is made, he is the only way. Now, that sounds really, really exclusive. And I know that might be off-putting for some of you. But I want to tell you, he is the only one who has made that claim. He is the only one that that claim has ever been made about. Because we don't follow just teachings. And we don't just follow a philosophy or a theology. We put our faith in a person. A person who did something powerfully miraculous. He took on himself the sin of us all and was raised to a new life. And that resurrection power comes only through him. And when you have experienced that power, you realize this is something that cannot be kept to myself. I've got to share this. I've got to share this. Because the truth is, we've got to become absolutely convinced that this world is lost. That there are people in this world who are lost and don't even know it. Don't even know it. And the only answer, the only answer that we've been given is what Jesus has done for the world. It sounds exclusive, but the truth is he did it for the whole world. It's open and available to everyone. And he says, we have experienced that and we want other people to experience. I think one of the reasons we don't share so much is because we forget what it was like when we were lost. We forget what it was like in those times when we felt absolutely all alone. No one that we could turn to. We forget what it was like to have that lack of peace in our lives that only God can bring us through Jesus. We forget how much he has changed our lives because the truth is, like we've been saying through the series, the longer we have been followers of Christ, the more we become inwardly focused, the more we become consumed with our own stuff, and we forget what it was like beforehand. And they were absolutely convinced that this message could change people's lives that they had experienced it, that this was the only answer, this was the only message that we had. And so they, they declared it boldly. Now, if you are a little bit afraid of ever sharing your faith, realize this. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, if you were a Christ follower, somebody else was bold for you. Somebody else shared that message with you. Somebody else told you about their story and what they had experienced. And I want you to think, what do you think about that person today? Do you hate them? Are you angry that they were so intrusive into your life? That they told you about Jesus? No. Somebody was bold for you. And someday, you want somebody to be grateful that you were bold for them. And so they're called, and they're told, no more, no more Jesus. Don't you ever talk about that name ever again. And, and, and not only that, don't talk about this resurrection stuff anymore. We don't want to hear anything more about it. And if you don't stop, if you don't stop, you know, we're just going we're, we're gonna to really do something to you. And this is their answer. He said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I'm just saying. (laughs) You let us go. We're not stopping. That's some pretty bold stuff. 
Some pretty bold stuff. Because they had experienced something that was life-changing and powerful. And they realized it wasn't of their own doing. That they were part of something much, much bigger than themselves. And they said, you know, this, this stuff may scare us to death, but it's a message we cannot keep to ourselves. We've got to speak it. And you can do what you want with us, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. And that's where boldness comes from. But I think there's a third thing. And it shows up when they come back and they report to the other believers. And they pray this prayer. And here's, I think, a key to boldness. Boldness grows when our prayers are for strength instead of for safety. Boldness grows in us when our prayer is for power instead of security or protection. Boldness grows when we change the nature of our prayers. Because honestly, like I said before, I think the way we would pray today is, Lord, protect us. Lord, keep us safe. Lord, give us traveling mercies. I think they would, if, if that was us today and those, our friends, Peter and John, came and told us about what had happened, I think we would say, okay, well, first thing is, you two guys, you can't be together anymore because like, you two guys are our leaders. And, and if they get both of you, then we're sunk and done, undone for. So, so no more traveling together. Okay, Peter, you go there over here and John, you over here, but no more together because if they rest you both together, we're in trouble. And, and maybe we should hire some security guards. You know, and maybe get a tricked out black Escalade or two, you know, and get you around safely from place to place, you know, because we don't want anything to happen to you guys. I mean, we live, because we're Americans. We, we are obsessed with re- removing every sense of risk or danger in our lives. We write laws. We have laws written to protect us from ourselves. <laughs> California, just recently, California Assembly, talking about uh, uh, enacting a law that any snow skier must wear a helmet. Yeah, I'm a snow skier. I don't want to wear a helmet. You got to wear a helmet to ride a skateboard. You got to wear a helmet to ride a bike. I want to take up bike riding again. I got to go out and buy a helmet now. Because we are so obsessed. We have lost, we have on a cup of hot coffee. Hot coffee. You ordered hot coffee. It says, danger. (laughs) Contents may be hot. Yeah, that's what I ordered. We are so obsessed with our safety and our security. We don't take risks. We don't want anybody. We want to protect us from ourselves. We are so consumed with risk aversion that I am afraid it has brought itself into our life of faith. We are so terrified that somebody might not like us. We are scared to death that if we say something, somebody might say something bad about us. They prayed not for safety, not for protection. They prayed for boldness. I mean, think about this. If every prayer that you prayed last year were answered, who would be the chief beneficiary of those prayers? You. Me. If all the prayers that I prayed this last year were answered exactly the way I want them, you know who would be the chief? I would be the the chief beneficiary of those prayers because that's what I pray for, mostly. And so do you. Our protection, our safety. When was the last time you prayed for boldness? Can you remember ever praying for boldness? But that is their prayer. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. In other words, what they're saying is, God, we understand none of this catches you by surprise. 
You were totally in control. In fact, you were even in control when your son, Jesus Christ, was arrested and crucified on a cross. You were in control of all that. You have been in control from beginning to end, and you continue to be in control. None of their threats catch you by surprise. They're uncomfortable for us, but you knew about this long ago. So, they say, and this is the thing, their, their prayer isn't for themselves. It's about themselves, but it's not for their benefit. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Boldness. They prayed for boldness. Boldness is what got them into trouble in the first place. I mean, Peter, Peter, you stood up. You stood up on that first day of the church and you preached a message and 3,000 people came to become followers of Jesus. That's pretty bold. And then you did it again and another 5,000 came to, came to trust in Jesus. And then you got arrested and you stood in front of all those guys and you preached another message. Boldness is not your problem. Boldness is what got you into trouble. Say, no, Lord, give us greater boldness. Give us greater boldness. When was the last time you prayed that kind of prayer? I want to encourage you. Because here's what happens. When you pray for boldness, it changes your perspective. When you start praying for boldness, one of the things that happened is your eyes begin to be opened up to opportunities. When you're praying for opportunities and boldness to use them, God brings them your way. Actually, they've been there all along. You just haven't been paying attention. But once you pray for boldness, you start paying attention. I just want to share with you just a couple of brief um, examples of that. Just from this last week, a couple of emails I got. Um, one of them, actually, this, got, this was very cool. This was an ongoing conversation that was going on on Facebook from one of our students who was scared to death about this life book thing, about going to school and giving out you know, little gospels of John. And scared to death about the whole thing. Just didn't think, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm scared to death about it. And kind of encouraged, okay, well, just try it. You know, just try it. Um, she did. She did. And then she got this text from one of her friends. Day later. Hey, I was thinking about joining your, church, your youth church thing. Do you think that would be possible? <laughs> she texted back, yes. Friend said, ha ha. How, how would you propose I do that? She said, just come on Wednesday. It's very easy to join. All you do is fill out paper and you're in. <laughs> Scared to death at the beginning of the week. And, this, and then she, she took that text and, and forwarded it to Larry and, and said, look what the life books did. Larry texted back, PTL. She put, what does that mean? Put, praise the Lord. <laughs> she goes, oh, ha ha, I know. <laughs> and then she said this. She said, I asked her why she said she's been looking for a good youth group and she wants to come because of the life book I gave her. Now, if a junior hire who is absolutely motivated by, by peer pressure can do something like this, so can we. She said, Larry texts back, so cool, you, and you were bold. She said, it was crazy. I really didn't think a big thing like that would actually happen. Oh, also, one of my friends came up to me and asked for one. Larry texts back, yeah, 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 girl. He said, so, if you haven't figured it out, I need more because I don't have any for tomorrow. See, boldness 
Boldness is being the only one knowing you're scared to death. Boldness is saying something when it would be easier to say nothing. Boldness is stepping out and taking a risk so that somebody else would come to find Jesus. Last one. This is a yay God story, an adult in our church. It's a dear pastor, pastors, Ken and Larry. Thank you for your encouraging messages about living out my faith in my workplace. This summer, Larry talked about how you handle yourself under pressure and stress is a testimony to those around you. I took that to heart. I work in a very high-stress job, and I try to use my environment as a witnessing tool for my coworkers. I try to be light to my coworkers by remaining calm and positive and being an encourager in the midst of chaos. It's working. I get opportunities all the time to slip little encouragements, what I kind of think of as faith darts, brief words of testimony about how I'm praying for my coworkers or our situation, or words of testimony thanking God for peace to make it through another difficult day. I've sat down and read my morning devotional to my coworker before, and incur- before the morning and encouraged her and share how I cope with our job. A couple of months ago, my stressful job started becoming almost unbearable. I felt under constant attack from one particular person. This person makes our workplace miserable for every single person there. I tried praying and meditating on different scriptures to really take control of my mind and stop the negative thoughts that this person would provoke almost on an hourly basis, if not more. When my non-believing co-workers made a statement about the waves of negativity come off, coming off this particular person and how they changed the entire atmosphere of the place, I finally started to recognize that the battle I was facing was not just a physical one, but a spiritual one. And it changed the way I pray and the way I interact with my co-workers, especially that difficult person. I started praying. I made a verbal commitment to my coworkers that I would no longer let any negative thoughts of our, or conversation dwell in my mind. I want to bring peace to my workplace and fight the negativity with positivity. I also told my coworkers I've committed our situation to prayer and to start looking for changes because I believe God's going to work in this person's life. Bold, I know, but I serve a big God and I know he's capable. Over the last two weeks, I can't say my situation has changed much yet. Personally, I think that person has become a little better The hourly, or more often, attacks have been cut back to just a few times a day. Maybe every other hour or so. But even that small change is a welcome relief. However, the biggest change I see at work is in me. I thank God because I see and feel the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out of me. My response to my situation is something completely beyond my ability. God is coming out through me to love this difficult person and bring peace to this difficult situation. I become grateful for my job, not for money or provision. I become grateful for this difficult situation that has pushed me closer to the Lord. I know him in a new way now, and I've experienced him as my shield and defender. The words of the songs we sing at church have new personal meaning to me because I'm experiencing God in a new way I never thought I could have without these trials and hardships. So this is my yay God story. Yay God for the fire Yea, God, for the fire, because he's refining me and perfecting my faith every day. I thank him for the opportunity to live out loud at my my job. I thank him because he's using this situation to help me encourage my believing friends, too, with the story of faithfulness and being able to share the changes that he's working in me. So, yay, God. Yeah. It's a simple prayer. Lord, Give me boldness. Lord, give me the strength to say something when I would usually say nothing. Lord, enable me and empower me to have an open eye and an open ear for those opportunities and give me the boldness to step out. Would you bow your heads with me?
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Yeah.